1: Well, folks, some guests come back by popular demand. I don't know why I just said that like we're, we're a radio show coming back from break. I got to get better with slipping into the shows. But anyways, uh, I don't know that we've had a repeat guest on the show. Emily? Uh, yeah. I don't think. Okay. Well, no one wants to hear you just go, And My family members don't don't count. Because um, a real guest, John Levy is back. And for those of you... A lot by popular demand. John, say hi to prove that I'm not lying.
2: I'm very popular and highly demanded. So, yes. Highly demanded. I'm John.
1: For those of you that are new to the pod, John Levy is an author and behavioral scientist, and he created the Influencers Dinner, which I've attended, wrote The 2 a.m. Principle, a beautiful book, and his new book, You're Invited, is out now. And John is here to answer your questions about life behaviors. And I think a lot of you right now are kicking yourselves because you're like, oh, crap. I didn't submit a question and I'm feeling lonely. But we got you covered. John, we're going to... First of all, how are you?
2: (laughs) I'm great. I'm super excited to be spending time with you. You know that like, I've hosted over 2,000 people at my dinners and uh, yours is the favorite couch to crash on when I'm in LA. So
1: I love that. I love that. And my favorite part of you visiting was we impromptu got a reservation at John and Vinny's in the moment, which never happens. This is obviously pre-pandemic. So I think of you as a dinner good luck charm. Ooh, You're my dinner good luck charm. Yeah. Dax is a name. Hey, John, have you ever had anxiety or worries after any of your dinners? Have you ever left uh, an evening thinking, well, that could have gone better? And how were you able to overcome that?
2: Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. So first of all, I've hosted 227 dinners. Uh, and when you come in contact with that many people, either I've hosted people who are really awkward <laughs> and I don't know yeah. if they've liked me or not, uh, or I've said something and I don't know if people took it the wrong way. And Ooh. that's just the worst. Like I get so self-conscious, it kind of keeps me up a little the next morning. I feel like, have you ever heard that phrase, a moral hangover? Like you-
1: I've never heard that, but I love that.
2: Isn't yeah. that like a great way to describe it? Is that you, you feel like you've done something that you shouldn't have. And here's what's really kind of funny from a behavioral science perspective. Uh, there's something called the spotlight effect. And essentially researchers uh, took a bunch of college students, had them do a work project together, but had one of them come in early and switch his t-shirt into a really embarrassing (laughs) t-shirt. And then they sent everybody to work together. And when they came out, they polled people to see if they noticed the t-shirt and almost nobody did. But the person that was wearing the embarrassing t-shirt was super self-conscious of it and thought that everybody or almost everybody had had seen it. And so the fact of the matter is that most people are too obsessed with themselves to care about anything that you do. Uh,
1: Absolutely. You, I'm a pretty confident person, and I often, if it's an overstimulated evening, like if I come back from something where I talk to a lot of people, mm-hmm. even though I don't really miss, I tend to not misspeak and I rarely say anything rude, you kind of, you're putting, outputting so much information, you're just like, oh, I hope it all came across okay. But the truth is, nobody cares. Yeah. They're just, and if they did take umbrage, then, then whatever. Who cares? Yeah. They're wondering. Uh, if there's one where you like, did, do you have a specific memory where you're like, crap, I used the wrong pronoun? I said global warming was a hoax. I made a mistake. <laughs>
2: oh, man. Uh, oh, it's wow. Okay don't I don't think I have a, a good story here. I have a story where like other people got really embarrassed. And this is so amusing. Uh, so at one of the dinners, there was this very tall journalist, reporter, on camera woman uh, who was making guacamole with an uh, older black gentleman. And she was talking about her division three basketball career, talking about like how good she was kind of, you know, really getting into it. And when we all sat down to eat, everybody got to kind of guess what everybody did. And we were all guessing what the black gentleman does. And some people said, oh, you're a businessman and, uh, or in the music industry. And when, the, when everybody was done, he explained that his full name is Isaiah Thomas. And he's a 12 time <laughs> NBA All Star and, uh, and, you know, by the Pistons <laughs> and all that. And uh, he
1: explained. Yeah.
2: And so she literally took her napkin, dropped deep into her seat, hid behind it, and was like, Isaiah Thomas. I was bragging about my Division Three basketball career to Isaiah. Oh, Dunn. and I don't think she ever came back to another event.
1: She never recovered. No. She there's an optional floorboard hole that you can slip through at dinner, and no one will ever see from you see you again. Big, blonde, and proud. Hey, John and Eliza. I know how much Eliza loves an update, so I thought I would oblige since John is back and you helped me last time. You've come back for more. So my situation was combination of rut and husbo, husband, not feeling well, was still recovering from a small surgery the month before. I did employ John's advice and had a few small asks when it came and when he came through on them i made sure to be very appreciative and let him know how much it meant that he came through things have greatly improved and in fact he's taken my birthday weekend he's taken my birthday weekend off from work and is taking me plant shopping even though it's more my bag than his thank you too extra squeezes for the snow peach and baby arm i can't say i remember but i'm sure it was more about Asking your husband to help out. Yep. And I think uh,
2: you remember. There were two things there. One was the IKEA effect that we care more about things we invest effort into. So if we can Mm. get people to invest amounts of effort, small at the beginning and go up. The other is something called the uh, flywheel effect, that developing a habit is actually easiest when we take it little bit by little bit, and then we keep a flywheel going and eventually Mm. it builds momentum. And so, yeah, there we go.
1: I love, I love your brain. I love your brain because you remembered this and I literally meet comics every night and I'm like, I have no <laughs> record of meeting you. I ran into an ex-boyfriend this weekend who was like, yeah, my friend so-and-so, you planned my surprise party with him? And I was like, I planned a surprise party for you? Like, if it isn't breakfast 10 minutes ago, I'm like not clear <laughs> on who it is or what happened. <laughs> so I love that you remember that. That's your scientific mind and you have all these effects memorized.
2: Well, you have all your jokes so memorized. You get on stage and talk for like an hour and something continuously.
1: That's true. I still stand in reverence. Okay. Stephanie Newman, what advice do you have on mindfulness and overthinking less? Any tips on strategies for someone with anxiety and OCD? You better have real OCD, Stephanie. You better not just be saying it <laughs> hyperbolically.
2: The uh, So I'm not an expert at this, but I do have one piece of advice, uh, which is... A lot of the issue comes from, uh, let's say, with decision-making, right? You don't know what to do. You obsess. Uh, At a certain point in my life, I just started assigning decisions to other people. So Mm. it really doesn't matter which meal I'm going to eat. So when I get to a restaurant and I'm dyslexic, I don't want to read the entire menu. I say, honey, just pick something for me. Assuming my wife's there. Otherwise, it's kind of awkward. Even if it's a dude. (laughs) Sweetie (laughs) pie, yes. Uh, it's how I refer to my accountant when we need... Uh, <laughs> That's how you met Isaiah Thomas. You're like, Hey, babes. Hey, uh, babes. So uh, I assign decisions to other people. And then the, uh, the other thing is uh, I try not to take things too seriously in general. Mm. Um, there was this great story. I, I wish I had a scientific definition for this, but it was called rule number six. And the basic storyline is that um, these two prime ministers are meeting for the first time and uh One of their, uh, as they're working together, uh, the head of transportation authority runs into the office saying that there's an emergency. And the prime minister says, the local prime minister says, "Uh, remember rule number six. And the guy apologized, walked out, and they went back to their meeting. Once again, this happens, but with two more uh, heads of divisions. And eventually the visiting prime minister says, wow, I've seen a lot of impressive things, but I've never seen anybody, you know, manage their staff in a way that keeps them so calm. I have to know what's rule number six. And the local prime minister says, oh, that's my favorite of all the rules. It's don't take yourself so damn seriously. Oh, yeah. and I like that. The visiting prime minister says, now I have to know, what are your other rules? And he goes, that's the best part. There aren't any. So Just six. Yeah, it's just rule number six. Uh, And so... The fact of the matter is that if you look across your life, almost none of the decisions you make have any real effect on it. And if you want to be right. happy, it's not going to be a byproduct of, there is this concept called maximizing and satisfying. And maximizers are the people who do like tons and tons and tons of research and get like the perfect thing, right? It turns out they're mm-hmm. less happy than the person who just satisfies, gets the thing that just satisfies the situation. So,
1: oh, that's me. I'm a satisfizer. Oh yeah, me too. I won't research. Yeah.
2: Oh, I I don't have the energy for it. It's just, I'd rather- Well, you
1: have a scientific brain. I feel like you would be the researcher.
2: So I research like concepts, but I'm not going to sit there for four hours picking like the perfect lens for my camera. <laughs> it's, I'm never going to know the difference between the photos anyway.
1: Yeah, I go on Amazon. I'm like, does it have does it have over a thousand mm-hmm. reviews? That's probably the one for me. Yep. Can I return Is it, it for free? Is over 4.6? Can my do it? Awesome. Great. Yep. Okay. Is this a bullshit review clearly written by the person who made it? I'll buy it. (laughs) I'm dumb like that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It happened to me. I didn't think it would, but it happened to me. I had a nasty bout of postpartum depression. Now, there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about what you're dealing with, and there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about it with to someone from BetterHelp. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time. No additional charge. And it doesn't hurt their feelings. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Eliza today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, strategy for someone overthinking less. I do think, yeah, not taking yourself too seriously. I remember when I was in high school, my best friend and I had this phrase that we would say that was just like, nobody cares. And it's not like a nihilist thing. It's just like nobody, like especially as a woman, like you will drive yourself to the point of nausea being like which shoes, which nobody cares. Put on the eyeliner and the outfit and just go. And once you leave that space, you don't think about it again. There's so many things that we like bleed for. And then once it's over, you never think about it again. Like shelving. Once <laughs> it's once you've done it, you're like, I never even reference it again. So I take myself very seriously. So that's a... I guess I have to because I'm my own boss, but I get that. Get it. Gerlin says, hello, John and Eliza. I so, so, so love the last time you visited the pod. So many golden nuggets of advice and so excited to learn more. My question is this, John. How can I stop from feeling so bummed when I'm not invited to events amongst friends? It can be small events like dinner or a hike or large ones like weddings or showers. What gives? Aw.
2: So I have to say i I used to get uh, I used to take this stuff as stuff really personally. I grew up uh, I'd probably say a pretty lonely kid, uh, and Aww. that's probably why I went into what I do, which is bringing people together. Uh, so it's mm. it's really hard.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the first thing to realize is that uh, when we feel rejected, it's a pretty primal experience uh, for human beings. The biggest punishment we have in most places is either solitary confinement, meaning we're saying you can't be part of our society or it's exile, which is saying we literally, you are no longer part of our society. So I can absolutely understand that it, it hurts. Uh, That said, I think people just stopped inviting me to stuff in general because I host so much that they assume I'm busy or I was traveling Mm. so much that they, they didn't Um, or Think I was even in town, so it's uh, there are a few things that you can do to increase how often you get invited. The first thing is, are you inviting and hosting people? Right there, if you're not creating social occasions for people to get together, it might be unfair to expect others to always host you. The other thing is that it's not always the more the merrier. Sometimes it's kind of like the more the scarier, and if people are introverted and prefer smaller groups then it's not that they wouldn't love to have you there. It's that they actually can't handle more people. And so that could be a possibility for why we aren't always at the top of people's lists.
1: I wonder, you know, I'm someone who throws a lot of parties and I always feel like I'm never invited to parties. Mm -hmm. But then I was just like, okay, well, maybe people just don't throw parties as much as I do. I also don't belong to a company. Like around the holidays, everybody gets invited to these corporate events. And I'm like, well, I don't have a company. So like, I'm not going to go to a... Like, I think if you really look at who's not inviting you and you really break it down, like a wedding, it, it could just be a money thing. Mm-hmm. Showers, you don't want to go to a shower. That's awful. That's... I think you want to be invited, but you. I think you want to have been invited, but I don't know that you want to go. But that is a...
2: There's a only high, so many times you can... What is it? Pin a diaper on a baby shadow or whatever like I don't even know if those things Do are they
1: it's it's like you put a melted candy bar like it's a yeah. turd I don't know why women get stuck with such dorky stuff um uh, but she's saying like a small event like dinner are you and I'm interested like are you always left out or is it just you're not noticing when you are included or are the people I suffer from this the people that include you it's not enough and you want more
2: mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm in that boat where I feel like mm-hmm. I always want more cool stuff to go to. Uh, the problem is that most people are too busy. Uh, to, yes. the, the other thing I noticed is that the friends that always seem to have birthday parties to go to, they were part of like frats and things like that, that I would never be a part. Not Like I'm sure it's great to be part of a frat. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. And so yeah. It. they were just like this tight social circle that had like 50 guys and there was a birthday every week and that's what they did every weekend. And that just wasn't my life. I was in more social circles. Yeah. It's
1: It's mostly lame. People are doing lame things. You want to go on a hike? Why? How good could it be? I went on a hike once and it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to carry Tian Fu because it was too far. So go, just go, go to Fridays by yourself. <laughs> um, speaking of guys, here's a question Ray Liz Wilk. Hello. I'm a young female millennial working in the healthcare field of corporate America. My boss and many of the executives are male. There's a huge quote unquote boys club mentality and only their friends get promoted or break that inner circle. My question for John Levy is how does someone influence a group of like-minded individuals into accepting someone who breaks their mold, especially when they see more value in friendships than work ethic? Oh, burn. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one.
2: Speaking to a lot of uh, women who've actually dealt with this, which is that it feels really hard to, to break the in, into the boys' club. And so I think mm-hmm. that there's a, a couple of, of important questions. Uh, first of all, if you're not being valued and you're working really hard, then check out which other companies are out there. Because yeah. it's... I mean, if you really like the people and you feel like you're getting mentorship and you're growing, I'm not, you know, great, then let's figure this out. But if it's fundamentally not a culture that's the right fit for you, you're either going to be fighting an uphill battle trying to change it. And company culture takes a while to change for the good. It's really easy to change for the bad, but it's really hard to change or it takes a while to change for the good. Uh, so you might want to see which other companies have really good ratings for integration of diversity and unique thinking.
1: Yeah, there's enough companies out there that you'll fit with. It's not just... yeah. People always think it's about them being accepted. You've got to accept the other companies. So Mm -hmm. I say that having never had a
2: (laughs) A job. job. (laughs) Did you ever even work at like a Wendy's growing up or something?
1: Oh, I've had lots of job jobs and I've had office jobs, but they all stopped when I was like 25. But I've definitely, but you know, I was like too young to think about it. And uh, the most harassment has been in my chosen profession, but uh, all those guys are now open micers and I have a house. Okay. Sam underscore Sid underscore cats play, cat sat play. Hello, Eliza, John, Emily, and crew. I have a question about how to manage without coming off as a bitch. I work for a small franchise of a restaurant, a Wendy's, if you will. It's not Wendy's, and I travel around where I'm needed. I go in to make changes and get things back on track. I try to be delicate, but sometimes the foot must be put down. Stores are, stores are dirty, they're not customer-focused, and I need the staff to turn it around. Any advice to go in and make big changes while still keeping staff on side?
2: So here's something really interesting that I actually learned while researching this new book, You're Invited. Uh, we all say how important trust is. Mm-hmm. And if I were to ask you what trust is made out of, I don't know if you'd be able to tell me. I literally had no clue. And it turns out it's made of three things. Competence, you can do your job. The second is honesty. You're telling the truth. And the third is benevolence. But what's really weird about human beings, we don't value all of them the same. So if somebody has a great track record and they screw up one day, we don't really care. We don't stop trusting them. We assume it was just like an off day. But if you find out somebody lied to you, you'll probably doubt everything that they've ever said to you or say moving forward. There is this weird loophole, though. So, Eliza, if the two of us are walking down the street and it's post-COVID and uh, I say, hey, do you mind if we stop by a friend's house so I can pick something up? And you're going to be like, yeah, obviously. And when we get there. I'd probably say no, (laughs) but okay. Okay
1: i probably say, yes, I do mind. Okay, but, but I'll go. Okay.
2: Well, you shouldn't in this case, because when we get there, 40 of your closest friends scream surprise. And, and yeah, that's all of a sudden good and worth the stop. So, but it would be really, really weird if you turned to me and said, John, you just lied to me. We can't be friends anymore. Right. Right. So here's the important thing. You'll notice we value benevolence, that we have other people's best interests at heart. Above, honesty. And honesty above competence. So, Mm. for the person who asked the question, it's very clear you're competent. And I doubt you're lying to people. But if we want to win them over, we need to lead with benevolence. That's how we get their trust. That's how we can have the right to be a little harsher with them. So, if you come in and you say, Hey, I'm not here to blame anybody, I'm here to make sure that everybody's doing well so that. This location does better so that people can get raises and bonuses and everybody succeeds. Mm-hmm. This is, might be uncomfortable, but I need your partnership in this because my job is only a success if you succeed. Mm-hmm. Suddenly now we've demonstrated benevolence. And if we can then demonstrate honesty and confidence, we'll have them. They might not always like us, but they'll respect us.
1: Right. Benevolent dictator. Yes. I mean, what you're talking about also reminds me of this book that I, I hate telling people to read books because it's like a book is such a long thing, but How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Great book. Yeah. So there's this part in it where he was like managing like a showroom floor or something and his employees were smoking cigarettes. And rather than, I think I'm like ruining this, but rather than go up and be like, no smoking, you're at work. What the fuck are you doing? he went up to them and he handed them cigars and he said, smoke these on your break, boys. Mm. Now, one could misinterpret that as, oh, cool, cigarettes on the floor, cigars on my break. <laughs> but there's a way to make people want to work for you versus just, oh, crap, I got to come in and clean these floors. Mm-hmm. So hear what John saying. I can't believe I pulled that reference out because uh, I, don't, I don't manage a lot of people. On stage, page underscore, ugh, at the end. Hi, John and Eliza. I just finished my undergrad degree and I'm taking some time off before pursuing my master's because of COVID. I'm looking for a job to pay the bills, but how can I take advantage of this time? My bachelor's was really hard on my mental and physical health, so I want to really enjoy a break with an emphasis on fun before I buckle down again. Any ideas to make life fun? For context, I'm 23, female. I have a boyfriend. I'm
2: really hot and I live in Canada. She didn't say she's hot, but... <laughs> Um <laughs> wow. Uh, so I my first book was about living an adventurous life. And adventure is a little bit different than fun. Fun is kind of like you're really engaged in what you're doing. Uh, but I think when people who are 23 generally say, I want to have a really fun time, what they're saying is they want to have an adventure. Now here's the good news. And uh adventures are really wonderful because they help you grow. Uh here's the bad news. Uh for something to be an adventure, uh, it's got to make you uncomfortable to some degree, because if it's not challenging, it doesn't make you grow. So when I needed to figure out something to get me out of my slump, um, I took on a crazy travel challenge. I decided every month I would go to the biggest uh, event in the world, wherever it was that month. And so I ended up going to Pamplona, at running other bulls, and I got crushed by a bull, ended up in the hospital. Yeah, you did, yeah. <laughs> I went to uh, Formula One and I went to Art Basel and like all these different things. Now that was an extreme case, but it was a really bad breakup, so that was my reward for getting through it. I think the key here is find something that is engaging enough for you, something that you'd be mm-hmm. willing to be uncomfortable for, that excites you, and then figure out how to chip away at it. Uh, because unless there's something bigger than what you're currently capable of doing to pursue, right, it's just not going to be that appealing.
1: So, like, like what? Like she wants to. Like, put that in like a concrete thing. Okay.
2: So. um, (laughs) Okay, I will. Fine then. So be that way. (laughs) Uh, So here are a few things. One is you can pick uh, a friend, that a different friend that you'll visit every month somewhere else in the country. And then make sure that you dedicate that entire weekend to hanging out with them. Right? Mm. You can uh, take on new skills. So I did a project where I wanted to learn uh, superhuman skills and i hired a wim hof breathing instructor you know the ice man that person who can like climb everest in flip flops and like uh, i right. sure
1: i mean sure yeah
2: i hired an instructor like that so i could uh be able to withstand the cold but you need to find that thing that really lights you up for you it literally could be volunteer work and mm. going and uh to different churches and supporting people or it could be something Like, you know, developing like a community board and doing events in your area. The key is you have to find something you actually enjoy. So for Eliza, I would never suggest hiking. (laughs) She's been on one hike and she hated it. Uh, It's interesting you said
1: church and not synagogue. As a fellow Jew, I'm like, well, you could also just, I want people to know synagogues are options as well. They
2: they are absolutely options. So uh, along, also along with mosques, uh, It's just, I figure statistically speaking in this, in Canada. uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Steffi Pat. Hello, John and Eliza. I'm a 34-year-old female who's been working in healthcare on the front lines for the pandemic. Thank you so much. I found myself needing a creative outlet. I've started working... I'm sorry. I've started writing more small short stories and blogging and I've given myself a goal challenge of writing a full novel. I'm wondering if you both have any tips or advice on how to remain focused and writing and or keeping a writing schedule. Do you do a daily word count? Cover a certain topic every day, etc.? Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Eliza, I can't wait for you to come back to Canada. Steffi, me too. John, take it away.
2: Uh, So there's a few things that I've done that are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, One is I block off morning time because that's when I'm the most productive and I will not allow any meetings or anything during that time. But I think my favorite hack is uh, understanding what creates obsessive thinking. And one of the best ways to get people obsessed with something is to not finish it. So Mm. if I'm writing and I know exactly how I want to end things in the pages that I'm working on, I will actually stop early because then my brain obsesses about it and can't wait to get back to writing the next day. Ooh. And so you can actually hack your own behavior in a really frustrating way.
1: Yeah, find a good creativity vein and just mine it. And then it's almost like edging creative (laughs) edge.
2: Oh, wow. Wow. Not a reference I was expecting today.
1: So gross. My answer to that, uh, just as I'm writing the second book, I don't, I don't have an answer to that because I, you know what? Here's my answer. You can't force it. Forcing writing never. So there will be days where I'm just like, I'm just not into it. And then because you love it so much, it's not dissimilar to John's, like eventually you come back to it. I also need like hours to write. I can't like write for 10 minutes and then I've got a conference call. But uh, I also, I'm a big believer enough. I'll go months without writing a new joke. So don't force it because then it'll
2: be ugly. What, one thing I have done, which has been such a great hack, is that I'm not good at s- sitting still. Even mm. now as I'm recording this, I'm standing at a standing desk. And I, uh, I found uh, virtual assistants that will just literally sit with me over zoom and I will speak and they'll capture what I'm saying. Oh, wow. And then they'll make it like coherent. Right. So they, and what's great about this is that you can find somebody for like anywhere from $5 to 15 bucks an hour. That'll put up with me. Like that's a pretty impressive thing considering how distracted I can get. And yeah, uh, and they really keep me on track for kind of like these smaller writing projects. Like, if I need to get an article for the Boston Globe or uh, for Business Insider, I'll do like 700 words, knock it out in an hour with them. They'll edit it a bit and then I'll do a right. review. That's great.
1: Yeah, there's there's no wrong way. Sometimes turning off the internet helps or turning your phone off. Or I put my phone in the other room. Uh, no distractions also help. So, but remember, for, especially for you, it's supposed to be fun. So, and since it's not your job, you can sell have fun with it. When you ask someone what language they took in school, usually it's like with an eye roll. They're like, I'm French. It's like, do you speak French? No, I don't use it. I feel like a lot of us had difficulties learning a language in school. Rosetta Stone is here to change that. It's available on desktop and it can be used as an app on your phone or your tablet. Rosetta Stone are trusted experts for more than 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with an intuitive process and you can pick up any language naturally first with I do think there's something to be said for ordering something of quality and every once in a while getting a nice package in the mail with a product that you're going to own for a long time. Let me tell you about Boland Branch's signature sheets because they're the perfect way to start upgrading your sleep, your room, the look of your room because they're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They are made with the finest 100% organic cotton. These sheets feel buttery soft yet super breathable and they're perfect for warmer summer months ahead. We have a house that we go to in the summer and I got all and Branch sheets for the beds because we're having a lot of guests this year. And I want them to feel like they're at a nice bed and breakfast that they didn't have to pay for. Bolin Branch sheets are free from toxins like synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde. I bet you didn't know that was in your sheets. And their signature sheets come in 14 versatile colors and they come in sizes from twin all the way up to California king. And & Branch has a 30-night worry-free guarantee, which means you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them for any reason, you can send them right back with free returns on all U.S. orders. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from and Branch. Go to bowlinbranch.com slash Eliza for 15% off your first sheet set, plus free shipping. That's and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com slash Eliza for 15% off. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, Eliza and John. I'm a 23-year-old female. Another one. Working as a, veter- as a veterinary technician in Western New York. I was hoping to get some advice on how to decide where to live. For context, my boyfriend and I met in college in Northern New York. Super different. And we've been dating for four years. Now he is set to move back home to Australia after he graduates from his master's program. We're both very close to our families, so any choice will be hard on at least one of us. I've suggested Western Canada before, seeing as it would be close to a halfway point for both of our families, but he's hesitant about that. Any suggestion on how we can move to a decision together without one of us feeling like we're compromising too much? P.S. I have a cat who will be coming with me and I have to take into account rules and regulations if I take her internationally. Thank you so much for any advice you have to offer and thank you for making my Wednesday morning commutes entertaining.
2: Take it away, John. Wow, I have. Uh, I'm married to a Siberian woman, so that's basically wow. might as well be Australia in terms of it takes two days to get there. Um, yeah. So here's what I I, I can say. This is a question that I don't think has a clear answer, but there are a few considerations. Uh, the first is are are that when you look at human longevity, it's the greatest predictors aren't like eating kale every day and doing meditation. The greatest predictors are uh, number two, close social ties, meaning that you have close friends or family. And number one is social integration. You feel like you're part of a community. And we talked about belonging earlier. So if you want to have a really good quality of life, resetting your social ties often is going to be terrible for you. And it's going to be really hard in the relationship too. And so, this might be one of these times where you need to compromise and also judge how close you are to your family. Living in a midway point kind of makes no difference because it's not <laughs> at the distances right. that you're talking about. You might as well just right. have a social circle with friends that you already have, rather than mm-hmm. trying to reset and uh, and then because you're not going to be traveling twelve-hour flights all the time anyway. Um, so I think that that you have to be also really clear is one of you really introverted. The other one extroverted is one of you more likely to, uh, have, you know, depression or something like that, if they feel social isolation. And then Mm -hmm. the other big thing I would say is that if you are planning on getting married and having kids, having family around that can support you is a really big deal. And, uh, so you want to be really clear who you want influencing your children. Is it your family or his, uh,
1: Yeah. Okay. That's good. Very good. Uh, Also, I'm sorry. I'm pretty positive. I know exactly how the globe is laid out. How is Western Canada a halfway point between New York and Australia, which is in the (laughs) Southern hemisphere on the other side? I I don't, you're going to move to Western Canada unless it's Vancouver, like good fucking luck. So, and then you're becoming a Canadian citizen, but you're American and your cat is going to have to take like a maple pledge of allegiance <laughs> and get all these special, and then customs. Don't do that. Don't do that.
2: It takes a while to get, I think Canadian citizenship. Right? Yeah. What are you doing? I, yeah. All the things John said, I don't think you'd even be able to travel to Australia or America during the process. It's not like,
1: yeah. I love your answers. Cause I'm like, break up. This sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. Your answer is great, John. Thank no, you, you gave the right answer. Hi, John and Eliza and co. I'm a nurse practitioner, which means I ha- I'm a nurse and grad school. And I have 8 to 12 minutes with each patient to help them not only understand their diagnosis and test, but usually try to convince them to get some sort of behavior or lifestyle change, such as taking a medication, seeing a specialist losing weight, eating healthier, removing stressors, starting therapy, etc., it's a lot of examples. Yeah. We learn a lot in school about medicine and very little about how to successfully assist in changing human attitudes and behaviors. I'm prepared with facts, evidence, and science, and most patients care very little about those or not to the extent that they personally relate and actually listen and change behaviors. What is your best advice for influence, this is the perfect question for you, John, <laughs> on individuals in such a short timeframe and on topics that can literally change the course of their health or life? She uh, was made for you.
2: So, first of all, uh, yeah, nobody listens to facts at all. <laughs> the, if we did, we wouldn't have a flat Earth society, and uh, we wouldn't have COVID or QAnon. Like, Whoa. let's be honest here. So, I think the first thing is to set fair expectations on yourself, because nobody's going to listen to you anyway. <laughs> Not that you aren't an important part of their health uh, processes. In fact. Nurses are considered the most trusted people in society, more so than doctors. Probably back to that whole benevolence thing that nobody's going to become a nurse if they don't actually care about people. It's a terrible, terrible choice. Right. So there's a few things that you can do. One is instead of trying to, they like it's not a secret that people need to exercise more and eat less. And we know that shame absolutely doesn't work. So empathizing can help a lot. And what might be the best idea would be to ask them, and I, I haven't tried this, but this might work, is who are the friends that they have that have the healthiest habits? Uh, there was this crazy study by these two guys, Christakis and Fowler, and they were curious about the obesity epidemic. And what they were uh, curious about was, does it spread from person to person like COVID does, or is it a percentage of the population like Alzheimer's? You don't get Alzheimer's because you shake somebody's hand who has Alzheimer's. And what they found was startling, that if you have a friend who's obese, your chances increase by 45%. Your friends who don't know them, these are people who don't know each other, have a 20% increased chance, and their friends have a 5% increased chance. Meaning each have an effect three degrees out, and it's true for happiness, marriage and divorce rates, smoking Mm -hmm. habits, voting habits, and so on. Everybody knows at this point what they're supposed to do. And we're not going to get people in any significant way to change their behavior with a eight minute intervention, no matter how trusted and competent you are. But what maybe we can do is say, Hey, I know you're going to try to do what's best for you, but this might be the easiest way to do it. Who's the person that you know, that exercises the most consistently, or that has the habits you respect the most. Mm -hmm. Can you spend more time with them Because that'll rub off on you. And that'll be the difference between potentially years of your life. And that might work. I'm hoping it does. So there you go. Yeah.
1: These are these are sound, practical steps. You know, I'm very like kill a fly with a hammer. And you're like, well, here's a program we can put the fly in. Here's a pillow. I could
2: try to be funnier, but it's just not my specialty.
1: People are here for the science, John. They want the science. Let's see here. Hi, Eliza and John. What's the proper way of having a conversation with a vaccine hesitant relative? Now, I think this is a good one for our pod because we have all types of people on all types of political spectrums, all levels of intelligence listening. Every time I try having a conversation with my family member who believes the vaccine is a genetic modifier, I get iced out. So, what should I avoid doing when we go toe-to-toe again? What do you suggest I do to get past these defenses and shake some sense into her? For context, she has an immunocompromised daughter with weaker lungs. So it blows my family's mind that she and her husband are staunchly anti-vaccine. I could go on about her husband, but that's a subject for another time for Eliza to artfully take down with her big, beautiful brain. Thank you. Right now, the vaccine is the hill I'm currently dying on. Thank you for your guidance. Uh,
2: Get him. So the first thing is not to disagree with them because the moment that we start fighting against a person's arguments, they're going to fight back. And then they're just Mm -hmm. not going to listen anyway. Mm -hmm. We have to begin with benevolence and having respect that these, I'm assuming she's not an idiot. It's just, she feels a certain way. And if her child is immunocompromised, it could be that she's carrying also a lot of guilt around feeling like as a parent, maybe if she had done something, eaten differently, then she might be feeling a lot of guilt, which means that anything that could increase the risk or anything that's not um, absolutely, absolutely necessary uh, is might be viewed as not a good idea. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. would encourage starting off by listen. I know what you're going to, whatever you're going to do, I know you're going to do it because you feel that it's in the best interest of your family. And that's actually a different starting point for a conversation than I'm here to convince you something of something.
1: I love that. I love that, and you like you're you're so intense. Like I'm just like you're staring at me as I'm like putting lotion on my face, but you have one of those intense faces, like when celebrities do PSAs, <laughs> like you know, alcoholism affects all of us. Like you don't blink, and I'm just like totally, yeah, you're right. A compassion even in the face of stupidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and here's the
2: flip side of it that I think is really important. There is absolutely something that I'm completely adamant about. I don't know what it is that I'm just absolutely wrong about. (laughs) Like as a human being, it's a guarantee. So as much as it's really satisfying to be like, you're an idiot, you don't get it. Uh, There's probably a ton that I just don't get that I'm an idiot about. Hell, I've probably been wrong about something I've said on this podcast already.
1: (laughs) Just a wake of dead bodies. Um, (laughs) It's tough too, because the vaccine isn't just you know, as Joe Rogan had to retract recently when Dr. Fauci came after him. It's not just about your health. It is about others. Like this isn't, get this so that you're okay. Otherwise people wouldn't care as much. Like, I don't care if you eat healthy, you know, if you want to die, whatever. But because it, the whole, it's a the nature of a pandemic is that it's affecting millions of people. So it's tough because it's not just the daughter. It's her getting someone else sick. So yeah, you know, and there's, the, there's also a, a whole lot of people
2: who, do have situations where their doctors are like, "No, you're not getting this because, you know, you have conditions yeah. that we like actual serious conditions that it we it's a risk, and uh, we don't know it'll happen, mm. and we want you to wait." And I have a whole group of friends who can't leave their house because they have yeah. you know genetic diseases and things like that that are, and now they're locked in because other people won't get vaccinated.
1: I have a friend who's probably listening to this podcast and she has a whole slew of issues and her doctor was like, it's not worth it for you given how bad the reaction could mm-hmm. be. That being said, I have a cousin with cystic fibrosis. So that's a lung thing and she got the vaccine. So it's we have to all get it so that people like my friend who has all of these issues can breathe a little easier versus when they go on public versus, I didn't get it because I'm hoping other people will get it. Like, this is part of living in a society. And in terms of the genetic modifiers, even if it's true, if we all do it, then we'll all have fishtails together. And it's okay.
2: Then I could finally be married to a mermaid.
1: Oh, gross. <laughs> Hi, Emily Eliza and Precious Biscuit Nose. I have a weird quest situation I'm hoping you can guide me in. I had the same best... It just says from, so I think they mean from, best friend, best friend from when I was three years old to when I was 21 and we had a falling out where I disclosed my abusive relationship to her and she completely dismissed it and continued to talk about her own boyfriend. We had a long history of fights as we grew up because she'd obsess over her boyfriend and ditch me for him constantly. Hmm. She also had an attitude of constantly one-upping me in every situation. Finally, when I disclosed something so vulnerable, she dismissed it. I said, fuck it, and never spoke to her again. She never apologized, and four years later, here we are. Well, now there's a girl who lives near me that my ex-best friend was friends with in high school, and I met her once or twice, and I follow her on Instagram. I've developed a huge friend crush on this girl. She's super cool, seems to have a really similar interest and experiences me, living alone in a new area during a pandemic, going through break up. So I have two questions. One, is it weird for me to DM this new girl and be like, I don't know if you remember me, but I was friends with my ex this ex BFF and she introduced us way back. I know you live in the area and just wanted to say I'd love to hang out sometime and you seem really cool and I love making new friends. Two, how to handle the ex BFF issue if it comes up? I don't think she and this girl still talk. Oh my god. But I don't want her to see us on social media and have her message this girl with lies about me. I just want to be friends with this new girl and leave my ex-friend out of it. Can't wait to see you in North Carolina. Maybe with this new friend? Oh, that's very cute. I got got something to say. Of
2: two opinions. One is that... Let him know. I don't think... And maybe I'm wrong on this. I I don't think people have the time to like... There you go. Start...
1: There you
2: go. Yeah, like tracking down other people's social media and like messaging and all that kind of stuff. You know, like sometimes I have, a, uh, I have a nephews and nieces and my nephew will sometimes ask me questions like, yeah, one of my friends introduced me to a girl, but I don't want to date her because if it doesn't work out, then, you know, it'll, word will get back to that. Like nobody talks yeah. like that. Like nobody cares enough to, to share these things. And if your friend is in, your ex-friend is into that much drama, then like... At least you tried and maybe made a friend. And if it didn't work out, then it didn't work out.
1: This actually goes back to like our one of the first questions of this podcast episode. Like most people aren't spending that much time. Four years have passed. You're clearly still wounded by this unrequited love that you had in your friendship where you gave her everything and she gave nothing. Nothing's going to happen. And you shouldn't allow this girl and that friend and the person you were with that horrible friend to dictate how you move forward. What, first of all, if she says something to the new friend and she believes her, then that girl was never gonna be your friend. She's gonna believe lies about you sight unseen. So you DM her, you try to make a new friend, and you might meet her and she might be like, oh my God, I was friends with that girl. She was crazy. Don't launch into a thing about how much you hated her because then you come off as like weird and bitter. So just act as if you're like, you don't even have to say met you through so-and-so. She'll remember. Be like, hey, I saw we live in the same city. Do you want to do something? It's weird because- You can also
2: just say we have a bunch of friends in common or we grew up around each other. It'll come out
1: in person and then you'll get to like shit talk, which is always what bonds people is a common enemy. Hitler said it. Henry Rawlings said it. I believe it. So- and plus, women can't exist in groups of three. So two always have to turn against one. But don't let this friend, don't give her that power.
2: Eliza, do you know what I love about what you just said about uh, groups? When <laughs> researchers were looking at, this is a, a project my lab partner did. They were trying to understand group dynamics for missions to Mars and things like that. Like if you have long periods of time. And it turns out that in... Order for social situations to function, uh-huh. there often needs to be a single enemy in the group.
1: That's absolutely right. That's how women, Real Housewives, war, same thing. Nothing bonds people like shit talking. People always. Mm-hmm. Somebody had a joke about this, like how apps are about, like, what do we have in common? And then I feel like somebody had this, or it was a Shark Tank or something about, like, wouldn't you rather, like, and I think I said this too. You know what I said it first. Well, I would rather a dating app if I if I wasn't married. I'd rather a dating app where. We talk about the things we don't like because my husband and I don't have a ton in common hobby wise, but we both don't like a lot of similar things. And in marrying him, I found all these new things I don't like. <laughs> and that gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you don't 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 be beholden to that girl. Okay. Okay. Hi. How would you deal with the superior people that post their vaccine card saying, hashtag saying, quote, I can't wait to get out and see everyone again, but all through COVID, they've been posting photos of themselves, going to bars, parties, shows, friend vacations. What's a friend vacation, et cetera. I just want to scream at these righteous idiots. Are we really living in a time that people forget what they did like yesterday?
2: I have no idea what I did yesterday. So <laughs> the I think there's a few options. One is you could unfollow them. Uh, if it really bothers you, and it's second tough. is that yeah. everybody's a hypocrite, no mm-hmm. matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Like the expectation that people wouldn't be. Do you know what my favorite one is? Uh, my favorite hypocrisy recently that's come up are people who make fake COVID vaccination <gasps> cards so that they can go into other countries, but complain about the border wall not being there because they don't want people coming into our country. Right, So, por- like, if a border immigrant wall is always going to help. Fake- yeah. <laughs> okay. But like, so if an immigrant has fake papers to get into our country, that's not okay. But for them to be an anti-vaxxer that then gets a fake COVID card to go travel to Europe, that's fine.
1: It's so- not fine. I, I don't think those two are equal just because one is to live here permanently and one is to visit. However, I'm just saying those two things are not equal, but you are potentially spreading a disease to a country that's doing its best. So I, it's still- I'm just saying that everybody's
2: hypocritical, me included. And and so like, it's just really enjoyable to get angry at these things. Yeah.
1: I also, you know, you want to be careful because that person, maybe they posted something and they were being safe and it was just their family. Like during, at the height of this hysteria, you know, you'd cough. They'd be like, how dare you cough? Oh, you went to, oh, you didn't have your mask on. People love to say that and not realizing, A, they break the rules too, but be like, you don't know the context. That party could have been everybody was rapid tested or it's the people that Mm -hmm. you live with. So you really don't know. And chances are somebody who partied the whole time probably isn't. I think you're talking about one person who bothered you and you're putting a lot of people, you're also like using a lot of people to substantiate that way that you feel. Most people who did that are not like gung-ho about the vaccine, nor are they saying, can't wait to get it. I think it's just one person you're talking about.
2: It's interesting. There's this thing called the frequency illusion, which is, you know, when people, when you're thinking of buying a car, then suddenly you see everybody's driving that car.
1: Yes. There you go.
2: When when somebody gets pregnant, they think, all of a sudden there are all these babies born, but like our actual population rates, I think are decreasing. So in yeah. terms of- Or that
1: it's a conspiracy against you, which it is, I've been there. So go ahead.
2: And so it's, uh, we think that things are far, far, far more common than they are when we see any example of it. Mm. So if I ask you how often hurricanes happen after there was a hurricane, you're like, all the time. Right. But if they did really happen that much, then nobody would be able to live in this country because we'd all be in a hurricane or tornado right, right now.
1: What's it called? The frequency illusion. Mm-hmm. I remember I said to my mom one time, I was like, you know what? Dad always gets an amazing parking spot. And she was like, no, he just makes a big deal about it every time he does. <laughs> and I started thinking about, I was yes. like, you're right. If, and that's a great way to live in life. Like always make a big deal about the stuff you want people to see and nobody sees when you're shitting your pants. A frequency illusion. Mm-hmm. I'm always winning. Wow, she's always winning. John, it's time for Top of the Cub. It's the top of the cub. We're doing it right every day. You just take a bite. Top of the cob. Okay, so what's your top of the cub?
2: I haven't seen my parents in almost two years and I'm going to Israel to visit them and say hi.
1: Oh my God, I love that.
2: Well, um, more than say hi, I'm going to actually spend several days with them. No, I I and, assumed. Right. Shalom,
1: yes. got to go. It's a, Shalom. It's a red eye. Uh, yes. Where do they live by the sea?
2: Yes, they live in an artist colony called Ein Hod. Oh it's uh, near Haifa, it's in between Haifa and Tel Aviv. And it's absolutely stunning. Both my parents are artists. One's a composer, conductor, one's a painter and a sculptor.
1: Are they American or are they like European? I mean, they're Israeli, but like, what are they?
2: Oh, they were born in 1940 before Tel Aviv became Israel. And then they moved to the US in their 20s and lived here the rest of their life, except summers there. So but they, they spend summers in Israel.
1: were born in Israel.
2: Yeah, what well, yeah, became Israel.
1: So do, are your parents, are your grandparents Holocaust survivors?
2: Uh, it's a little, yeah, they didn't go into the camps. They managed to escape uh, from, uh, Holland to Israel, uh, to Palestine because uh, the British wanted my grandfather to be a geologist. And then the other side of my family, I know I look kind of European, but I'm, my family's from Yemen.
1: I'm sorry. You don't look European. You look so Middle Eastern. Sometimes I forget that you're Jewish. Like you could pay, play an extra in any show that takes place in the Middle East. I'm trying to like tread very lightly on the words I mean, You are so Semitic looking, so swarthy and like not even Jewish. Like you just, you, if you just started speaking like full Farsi, I'd be like, totally. Which I know is not the same as Arab.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, so yeah, I'm a quarter Yemenite, a quarter Turkish and half Dutch. Turkish, Uh, I see. The
1: Dutch part, I don't know where that comes in at, at all in your face, uh, for those of you, and, and John knows this because he's also been a guest on this podcast. John is a spitting image of Kayvon Novak when he plays Nandor the Relentless. Uh, and you've gone as him for Halloween, haven't you?
2: Yes. I literally, when the ads for uh, the show come on, I get phone calls or texts being like, are you on TV?
1: Oh my God, I thought you were like, I get phone calls to like come do birthday parties and you're like, I make a hundred bucks. I am just, I'm not- You need a
2: a Nandor impressionist.
1: I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. I'm just going to say this because I said this to Kayvon. I am, and it's okay because this is a fictional character. I am very attracted to Nandor the Relentless. Very turned on by this vampire and I'm not into vampires. Uncomfortably attracted to him. I watched that show for a very different reason. Okay,
2: well, you're going to visit your parents. nice to know in Twilight, you would have been on Team Nandor. I don't think I
1: can vibe with Twilight. I just, as an older woman now, um, I want to go with you to Israel one time. That'd be so fun. For sure.
2: Sold. Great. I would invite you to do a stopover though in like, Iceland on the way just thinks it's so pretty.
1: Yes. It was on the tour last year. Uh, My top of the cob is a lot less. Well, it's meaningful in that it is a homecoming. The comedy store here in LA has finally reopened. It is not at full capacity, but I walked into the comedy store for the first time in over a year on Friday. And I did a show in the main room, my home, my nest to a limited seat, limited seating. And it was... Even though I've done many great shows during quarantine, it was the best feeling. I think I blacked out halfway through and I just was just riffing. I had the best time. And it was so nice to sit in that green room, that haunted green room (laughs) and talk to my friends. So uh, it meant the world to me to be able to go home. I love it. Bottom of the cup. What's your bottom of the cup?
2: Um, Well, I'm going to Israel to see my parents. So I'm not (laughs) sure if you've ever spent several days with elderly Jewish parents, but uh, yeah, it'll get to you. It'll drive you crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, you can, you know, use one of your 8,000 methods and rules to explain away Mm -hmm. the mild nausea induced by being around family. Um, Should have had you go last for that. My bottom of the cob is just It's great that bars are open in L.A., but you need to make reservations at a bar and you have to order food and it kind of defeats the spontaneity of a bar. So you have to make a reservation. Like who wants to do that? No one. You want to get drunk? You want it to happen now. So that's lame. All this gerrymandering of safety ethics. We had to do that we have to do here just to satisfy some
2: sort of Legalese. Anyway. I would go with a flask then. Always carry a flask.
1: Never carry a flask. It's so trashy. Just get drunk at your house. I just, like, what are we doing here? Anyway. John Levy, your book, You're Invited, is out now. If you guys enjoyed the 2 a.m. principle, if you enjoyed this interview, and if you know anything about the influencers' dinners, you're going to love You're Invited, um, and they can get it wherever fine books are sold, right?
2: Sure, yeah. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, if that still exists. I think it does online.
1: Um... And uh, I think people always love having you on the podcast because I speak from the heart, but you back up everything with science. And I think people feel a lot calmer having heard your advice. So thank you. Thank you. Yes.
2: I love coming on. Thanks for having me. John me,
1: everybody.
0: Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.